Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I want to jump in and talk about the national championship game. But I think we need to talk men's basketball first. What do you think? Yeah, we're going to start. Well, more than basketball, we're going to talk about the trials and tribulations I endured in trying to view said basketball game last night. Uh, but I do I do promise our, our listeners, Bob Ferranti is going to join us for an extended time today. We'll talk about there's good news in the transfer portal. Alex Atkins met the media. We'll react to that. Uh, Florida State had another player that announced he's coming back. And we can talk about bigger picture college football, including the national championship game. So that's all straight ahead. So, Keith, I don't know how much we need to analyze what actually happened on the court last night in Winston-Salem. Do you, do you want to go blow by blow on this? Or th- this is here's what I'll say. This is where you're glad it's basketball and not football because you just turn the page and you got another game to get ready for on Saturday. There's no question. And obviously, Coach Hamilton has been preaching that matter over his, what, 19, 20 years uh, at the helm of Florida State's program. You know, if you if you look at the nuts and bolts, they shot 22, 23 percent from the floor. It was below 20 percent from three point. You know, this is a better shooting team. Uh, so you've got to attribute that to lack of playing time, lack of practice time. And then the second part of it is. And, and Bob has referenced this in our private conversations. There's been times when Florida State's only had five or six kids to practice. You know, I remember in high school football, we had to go half line. You've never even heard, most of our listeners never even heard that phrase before, where you just practice, you know, six on six or seven on seven because you don't have enough bodies. Well, now you're going two on two, three on three in basketball because you've got people having to quarantine and or isolate or whatever. And, and it's just difficult. It's just difficult. It, it is. And I know before folks accuse us of being uh, all rosy and garnet and gold on this, there, the, the other deficiencies are still there, but it wasn't helped by the fact that you missed 18 days. And most notably, you, you haven't had a five because of injury. And, and you don't, you know, you have Raekwon Evans at the one, but your freshman is not where you want him to be. So you're not as talented there. And so polite's having to carry that burden and, and it's taken him out of what his strength is, which is really not being a playmaker, but being a, uh, a catch and shoot guy on the wing. So you, you add all that up and you get what last night was, I, I guess. So contrary to what I just said, if we want to be all rosy and garnet and gold here, Keith, you just played two games on the road in the ACC after an 18-day layoff, and you went one and one. So you take that and you come home and you get ready for Louisville on Saturday. And it's good to be back in the confines of the Tucker Center. Uh, you know, there's no question about that. But you know, the reality is the youth, and and that's something that's a little different with Leonard's teams because normally they've been a little older and certainly deep. 
uh, always been long and always been talented. That's still the case. But, you know, getting the young kids up to speed and getting everybody meshing together in that motion offense. And as Coach Hamilton likes to say, those defensive principles, you know, you can only do that when you've got 13, 15, 17 guys on a practice court on a regular basis and then playing in the games. I do think that when they get some more time together, we will see a more polished product. It only makes sense that the freshmen will mature. Being candid, though, uh, it, it's get, it's getting late early, so to speak, because this is not a, a top-shelf ACC, and the league may only get four bids this year, which means that for Florida State to extend its streak, they're going to have to get really hot and win a lot of basketball games. That's That's what I'm saying. I think most of us realize that based on what we've seen so far. The good news is there are some basketball games to play. So uh, we'll go with the half full. I did not get a chance to share the trials and tribulations of trying to watch a game on Bally's network, which ironically, Keith, was previously Sunshine and Sun Sports. You'd think that you and I would have a direct ticket to that. But alas, I did not. And so uh, we'll go football next with Bob. But uh, at some point in the show, I'll explain that. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. The holidays are here. We wanted to take a moment to thank all of our customers for their business. We also want to say thank you to all our Austin employees for their hard work and dedication this year. The holiday is about family and friends and great memories. But if you happen to be in the market for a car or truck, we'd love to help. Or if you want to service the one you already have just in time for your holiday trip, we can help too. So come see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. From our family to yours, Merry Christmas. And a safe and happy New Year. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, time to catch up with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joins us as he always does via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Bob, Keith and I already uh, bemoaned the, the two hours we expended watching Florida State's basketball effort last night, but uh, I'll give you one bite of that apple before we move to the greener pastures of the transfer portal. I know you listened to the broadcast with Lulu. I guess... Bottom line, th- this team has its deficiencies and its struggles, but it also feels like the 18-day layoff that I expected uh, to show up on Saturday might have shown up on Tuesday. I think Coach Hamilton has expressed his frustration over just how challenging it is to run a practice when you have five guys one day, six guys the next. Um, who knows if you're down an assistant coach or a support personnel member it's really tough. And, and listening to the ACC coaches on, on their Zoom call Monday, it's happening just about everywhere across the conference. I mean, Duke hadn't practiced in weeks. Um, Boston College had a couple guys out. Um, it's, and, and that's just a small cross-section. I mean, we can go through the whole league, but it, it, 
it just kind of tells you that that teams are having difficulties operating in any semblance of a basketball season. And it's really tough just to get any continuity going because you, you just don't have it. Um, really, really tough loss. I mean, because you, you, you have to be competitive in the ACC. You have to feel good even in, in a tight loss. And, and this one is really going to sting with them and stick with them until uh, they get back on the court for Louisville on Saturday. And those kids not being on the court really is exacerbated by your maturity or lack thereof. When you look at Wake, they had some fifth and sixth year guys that, uh, you know, are just older and they've been there before. Florida State with the very youthful uh, lineup, uh, it showed. And that's just the nature of it. I was going to say, you know, everybody is facing the same problem, but not everybody has the same resources to face the same problem. And it's kind of a flip of, of the norm for Florida State because usually we're talking about a deep veteran, long um, athletic team. Well, yeah, they're athletic. They're relatively deep, Not certainly not at the five spot. I mean, Naheem played, I think it was 12 minutes tonight, nine minutes on, on Saturday against NC State. So you're not getting a ton of minutes out of a true five. You're trying to make it function again with Malik Osborne as your five. And that's a, that's a burden that is really tough for him to shoulder. And yeah, I mean, Hamilton has said a lot of times he looks out on the court and he's got four first year program guys. So that's a combination of the three freshmen, a combination of the three um, incoming transfer types, like a Mills, a Fletcher, a McLeod as a Juco guy. It's tough to function when you don't have those guys who have been there and done that year after year they know the scouting report for all these ACC teams because they've played them a few times in the past everything is just so new and and it's it's growing pains that I I think are just going to have to be considered part of of what this team's going to go through this season the lack of a five is really evident I'm just not accustomed to seeing Florida State give up so many easy baskets around the rim and uh, the star for NC State, I mean, he just went right every possession on Saturday and wound up with a layup, and Wake was feasting at the rim. It's just – it's not typical from what we've used to used to seeing. And, and when you look back, re- the reality is we knew Scotty Barnes was going to turn pro, and we knew Raekwon Gray was probably likely to go. But but losing the – losing Balsha has really been big. That, w- that would have been a huge difference for this Florida State team if he was there this year. Yeah, and Coach Hamilton mentioned that the other day, too. You know, you, you feel like it's a different team if you have Balsha or Raekwon. I, I felt like Raekwon all along was was set to graduate. He had been here quite a long time and had put in his hard work, uh, reshaped his body, you know, and he and he was in position to uh, to go pro. Balsha, you kind of felt like, wow, if he came back one more year, maybe not a lottery guy, but would be looking – at a good shot at a first round pick just because of what he can do with the ball skills at a guy that, that big in the open court. And, and there's just not, there's just not another guy on the roster. I, I mean, we kind of cliche it and say, who can fill the shoes of this guy who can fill the shoes of that guy, but it doesn't work that way. There's, there's no filling the shoes when you're asking for young men to do things that they're not comfortable doing. And, and I think we're seeing, you know, Naheem McLeod will be really good one day, but you don't trust him to be out there for the number of minutes that you need. Um, another example, Anthony Polite is a guy they want to 
they want him to be more aggressive, but it's almost not comfortable for him to be that aggressive. He's, he's much more comfortable being a complementary piece of the puzzle instead of being that guy who pushes and pushes. And, and so I think you're, you're looking at guys who have roles where they were comfortable last year. They have roles now that they're just not comfortable in yet. And do they get comfortable in January? Do they get comfortable in February? Or, or just does it not develop just yet this year? Bob, to use the uh, COVID word, let's pivot and go back to ba- uh, football. Uh, FSU picks up another uh, transfer portal person, and this one at the linebacker position. Yeah, he was a lot of excitement for Tatum Bethune. Uh, I mean, a guy who's got 185 tackles in three seasons at UCF. Obviously, a connection there with Randy Shannon, who was at UCF for a few years and, and coached Tatum. Um, obviously a position where Florida state really needs a guy who can plug and play. And whether you're going four, two, five in an alignment, whether you're going four, three could use a guy to put alongside Kalen Deloach, who we really saw progress. And he was, he was sort of the, the, the most improved defensive player. I, I thought last year, last fall. And, and now you get a guy who can, who can be, I think a really good wingman next to, to Kalen. Um, not knocking DJ Lundy. I think he's just a little bit limited in how he can move with a lot of these spread offenses, but it's a position where you need depth. You need experience. Um, a guy who has a connection with Randy Shannon, this feels like a really good fit for everybody. Um, if he chooses to stay, to stay just one year, so be it. But with three seasons at UCF, he, he would have multiple years here at Florida state. If he decides to, uh, to stick around. Bob, that's seven transfers so far and you have to say Florida State has really done a good job of addressing its needs out of those seven uh, this may be conservative but it doesn't seem like hyperbole to say they probably got at least four starters out of those that seven don't you think one or two OL one or two uh, receivers you got a a linebacker who's probably going to start yeah the one I'm not really sure about is is Greedy Vance just because a little bit undersized and, and you think he might be kind of a, a plug-in as, as a nickel here and there type of guy. But, yeah, Caden likes as a potential backup center, starting guard type, a guy who's available based on injury to have versatility and, and play at a couple different spots. Got to like that. Johnny Wilson with huge size, six seven at receiver, have to figure starter or rotational type. Um, I, I know Micah Pittman might be looked at as more of a possession type receiver and maybe not a game breaker, but very much a value there for sure. Um, you know, Deuce Span, the Illinois receiver, is a guy who can really stretch the field. Only had, I think, five catches last year, but but three of those were, were deep passes. So, and, and a guy who's played high school quarterback, you, you could see potential wildcat possibilities. You can see potential of him being used on trick plays. These are guys that I think make the offense and defense a lot better, and, and that's that's why you hit the portal. I think there's still a lot of work to be done at certain positions, especially defensive end. But so far, you have to like what Norvell has done. And continuing the trend that we've seen over the last two or three years, what, 17, maybe 18, or what we would consider early enrollees. I know that's probably not the right term to use for the transfer kids, but you're going to have an opportunity to be working with them uh, from the get-go? You know, it's an interesting discussion. I don't think Norvell wants to be in the portal this hard, this much in terms of volume. 
but I do think it's a necessity. I, I think he's evaluated the roster. I think he's looked at receivers specifically and said, got to do it. And, you know, in the past, he said, you really do need to develop high school kids. But this is a this is a year where he's seeing some turnover and he sees some areas of need. And, and if he sees the right fits in the portal, you, you've got to roll the dice. You know, he's not going to hit. The odds are all three of these receivers won't be highly productive guys in year one. But it also feels like all three receivers are multi-year guys, too. So you are, it's a calculated risk where you say, okay, year one is, is kind of a transition developmental year, but we still get them for a couple more years. And I think Florida State's had good success with those multi-year transfers, uh, Jay Sean Corbin as one example, uh, you know, Fabian Lovett as another. So getting guys who have extra years to me is just a huge bonus when you see a guy like that go in the portal. I think, I agree with your sentiment, Bob, that ideally I think Mike Norvell would probably, if in a year where you're taking 25, probably take 20 high school kids and five transfers or 21 and four. But the activity is so crazy in the portal that even if you're at the Alabama level, if Caleb Williams jumps in the portal, you might make a serious run at him. I mean, I don't think he's coming to FSU, even though there's talk of a quarterback. But no matter how good your your high school recruit recruiting, recruiting class looks, if, if you got starters off of top programs that are jumping in the portal, you're going to, you're going to give them a try too. I think every coach has to look at his roster and just be honest, who helps you win now, who helps you, who helps you, you know, short-term, long-term. And, and, and look, coach Norvell's done really well at making progress in year two in, in 2021, but how does he make progress in 2022? How does he show growth as part of his climb and and really he knows he has to hit the portal at certain positions it's just an absolute I I think you know we always talked about the win-loss you know record and the projections going into the 21 season and I was kind of harping on the whole let's see progress let's see improvement let's see competitiveness um, let's see them beat a rival something that they hadn't done for a while and and now I think once they beat Miami, you see competitiveness, you see the improvement. I think fans and, and everybody around the program is expecting what's next. And what's next clearly needs to be better than five and seven. Uh, six and six would be acceptable, but keep pushing. Keep pushing toward seven wins, eight wins, whatever, whatever is next. And I, I think, yes, you, you really can't build a program through the transfer portal but it has to be part of your foundation. It has to be the right balance. And I, I think Norvell's just trying to strike that balance right now. Guys, we, we've seen it happen before. Go back 30 years, plus or minus, when the NFL embraced free agency. You know, it's a little different, but it's in many ways very similar. And so managing the roster versus uh, simply having the scouting folks out there looking for talent, you know, has now become part of the equation. University of Florida, I don't know the exact term, but they hired somebody that more or less is a transfer portal recruiting coordinator to go with their regular recruiting coordinator, if you will. I mean, it's a director of transfer personnel, if you will, Keith. Well, they, just Nap- a- Napier got $5 million to hire support people at Florida. Well, that's that sink in for a minute. That's only a sixth of what Jimbo and Texas A&M are <laughs> 
to their class since there's reports that Texas A&M is in for 30 mil in NIL to this class. That's the best rated class in the history of recruiting or something like that. Do you find that, Bob? Or do you internet exaggeration involved in that? I, I, everything's bigger in the SEC. I mean, what are you going to say? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, guys. I, I think, I, I do think, and we all maybe will ever hate the term arms race, but to some extent, money is going to dictate how much personnel you can hire to keep up with the transfer portal, which has just gone crazy of late. And, and how do you do it? Um, I, I think you have to have somebody or a group of guys monitoring it throughout the day, but that somebody has to have a direct line to Mike Norvell to the point where you say, you've got to make that phone call immediately because kids respond to who reached out to me the fastest or who was giving me the love the earliest. And then down the road, it's going to be, where can I get the best NIL deal? And we don't want to get into the recruiting aspects of it, but NIL is going to be a huge, already is, I think, a huge component and huge factor of where prospects are looking at, whether they're a high school prospect or transfer portal guy. Hey, Bob, I'm going to do something we don't normally do. Uh, I'm going to take up five minutes more of your time. Hang with us because we haven't talked about uh, Alex Atkins yet. So we'll do that a little bit here in our, in our next segment. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call. So you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Your local independent auto owner's agent is the Earl Bacon Agency. Call us at 878-2121 or visit us on the web at earlbacon.com. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at TryMyBank.com. Member FDIC. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Continuing our football conversation. Appreciate Bob Frante hanging out for a few more minutes. Bob, uh, we got we got stuck on the transfer portal there, which is a 24-7, 365 deal right now. And until they actually put some some stop and start dates on that thing. But one thing that uh, made news this week is is that Alex Atkins met the media uh, earlier this week. New offensive coordinator. Obviously, he's been on Mike Norvell's staff. What were your impressions from his comments uh, when his, his first media? He's met with the media before, but first since he's been promoted. Coach Atkins, you know, continues to impress us, I think, with with every conversation, just what he's um, able to articulate his kind of big picture view of of the game. And I, I think he's he knows he's in an unusual position as, as an offensive line coach who's also a coordinator. You don't see that very often. He's also African-American and an offensive line coach and an offensive coordinator. You don't see that very much around college football. It does mean a lot to him to be in this position 
I think he's very proud of it. Um, we, we see a guy who I think sees the big picture for the offense. Yes, he doesn't coach the quarterbacks. Yes, he doesn't coach the receivers. But he's critical to the run game, to the pass game. There's continuity with Coach Norvell. You, you have to figure that, um, as he said, it's Coach Norvell's offense. He's going to be helping. Coach Norvell is going to be calling the plays. Um, the only real difference, I think, is going to be Atkins is going to be on the sideline. And we might see Tony Tokars up in the box, for example. But I think from a continuity standpoint, this is really good for Florida State. Uh, there's a built-in relationship with every position group, with Jordan Travis, obviously with the offensive linemen. This makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it's, I think it's also really good for Norvell to promote somebody from within, a guy who just knows what is expected, what kind of play calls Norvell might want to call in this type of down and distance, especially when we saw a guy like Kenny Dillingham. Because Kenny was, was questioned initially, well, why is Kenny Dillingham at 29, 30 years old so special? Well, he's, he's special because he kind of knew, to a certain extent, what Norvell was thinking, what he wanted to do. He was an extension of him at practice, in games, in various situations. And I think it's a little bit different with Atkins. They've only worked together for two years. But it just makes a lot of sense, big picture, I think, for Norvell to make this hire. And, and it's... Um, you know, I, I think it'll work out quite well. Um, as you reflect back, continuing that, did did anybody ever get a real feel for, you know, what the percentage was, if there is such a thing, about when Kenny was calling plays versus Mike calling plays, and then will that shift Mike versus, you know, working with Alex? And, and might that be a, a subtle but nevertheless distinct change in what's been happening? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think we've we've kind of asked that question through the years, especially with different head coaches and different coordinators. There were definitely times where, you know, Jimbo was going to call everything, but you know, Randy Sanders had a heavy hand in certain games where, where he would call certain plays. Um, I I got the sense at times listening to Dillingham that when things didn't go well, he took ownership of, of a play call that he said I didn't call the right play. And so it, it's, it's interesting, is, is Kenny covering for Norvell in that instance? Or was it, hey, they, they kind of bantered about certain play calls of, let's say, third and two. And when those third and short situations weren't going well, you know, Kenny was just kind of, kind of taking it for, for Norvell. I don't have a great answer there. I, I do think you just have to have a good feel within the game as a play caller. And if those two guys feel like they can work together, being Norvell and Atkins, then, then this is going to work out quite well. Um, and maybe even being on the sideline instead of having a sideline box scenario works just a little bit better. Um, but, but again, having tow cars up in the box too, that, that gives you, you know, you have the full complement of being able to see the field. So I, I think it'll work out well. Yeah, Tommy, you, may, you might know where I'm going with this, excuse me, but I will simply tell you from the old school perspective, remember the conversation about, you know, if you have two starting quarterbacks, you have no starting quarterbacks. If you have two primary play callers, you've got no play callers. One of them has to take the lead is, is I guess my point. Yeah, no, I understand it. My, my sense was that Kenny uh, was the lead and I don't know that, but from listening to Atkins this week, it clearly sounds like Norvell is the lead, right? Right. I, I get I that. I think impression this is too. the That's reason that he positioned it that way, but, uh, if things go, if, if the climb continues, 
people are going to continue to come after Alex Atkins. So two years from now, Florida State's having success. A carrot that Norvell can offer, in addition to more salary at that point, is you can now become the primary play caller. And again, I'm not suggesting that's why he positioned it the way he did. Um, what I was going to say, though, is I think the sideline thing is, is coming up, Bob, more because he's an offensive line coach. Because Jimbo called plays from the sideline and Spurrier called plays from the sideline and Bobby called plays from the sideline at one. There's plenty of guys that have called plays from the sideline. You don't you don't have to be in the up 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 top to do it. Um, I just think the dynamic that, that we're used to seeing the offensive line coach with his back to the field while the game's going on because he's talking to his OL. It, that's what seems to whereas whereas if it's a quarterback coach. He talks to the quarterback during breaks and then he's back watching the game is what it feels like that that to me is the difference there. Yeah, I think there's going to have to be times, too, where they're going to have to figure out division of, of duties, that how it best works in the game. Because, yes, there's going to be times where Atkins can't juggle being a line coach and a play caller or helping out Norvell. That's where Tony Tokar is going to have to jump in. Um, it, it's a different dynamic. I, I think I think Alex addressed it really well on, on Tuesday when he talked because he said, you know, not many offensive line coaches really want to be deeply involved in play calling some guys are just not into it at all some guys just never get the chance because the head coach is always hey it's it's my quarterback coach it's my it's my passing guy type hey it's kind of it kind of goes against the grain because you just don't see this happen all that often in college football but I, I think Atkins appreciates Norvell for giving this a shot and the other thing is, this is this is Norvell grooming a young coach. This is a discussion they've had for years and years, going back to maybe the hiring process from Charlotte. Atkins knew, you know, going in, this was kind of my dream. I want to get back into calling plays. He'd done it in the past, uh, Tulane, Charlotte, and and this this just works out for for what they feel will work for the future. Hey Keith, to to your point, I I do think it's fascinating to me when we talk about offensive coordinator, the whole conversation centers around calling the plays. And clearly you need a feel for it. But none of the conversation ever revolves around what you're doing on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday when you're breaking down tape and you're scouting the other team and you're and you're coming up with the list of plays that make sense to run on third and three if you're on the left hash versus second and one if you're on the 40 going in. I mean, to me, that's when the bulk of the work is really done in terms of the game planning. But ultimately, it all rides on, oh, well, that was a great, you know, if you called the touchdown play, you're a great offensive coordinator, right? Well, the media just wants to know who's responsible for it, who made that decision. Not, you know, we want to just see the sausage. We we don't want to see how it's made. The other thing about sideline versus booth, uh, who who was the head coach? Keith for Florida State, the coach from the press box. Oh, Daryl Mudra. Daryl Mudra, right? Yeah. And fans didn't like that. Right. That's my point. So we want the head coach on the field for sure. But now do we need the offensive coordinator in the booth because he can see and everything? You know, I think it's just a feel. Uh, I, I do think to Atkins' point, one of the things he made clear in his press conference, other than when he was a GA, he's always been on the field because he likes the interaction. And if you think about it, an OL coach, He's got five guys, at least he's coaching up. And really it's about eight or nine because there's, you know, there's another three or four that might play during a game. Maybe that's a, maybe it's 
another one or two. Whereas the quarterback coach, he's got one guy he's talking to, and the backup quarterback is kind of eavesdropping. Yeah, and the NCAA even the NCAA even restricts the number of headsets you can have, so you can't talk to eight people at one time. I don't think if you were up there. <laughs> well, that's my point. It works better for the quarterback coach to be upstairs. <laughs> All right, Bob, we'll let you off the hook. Appreciate you staying a little longer than usual and uh, keep up the good work at the Osceola. Take care, Gus. Our Osceola insider, Bob Franti. Keith, let's let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, we can dive deeper into that uh, topic of Alex Atkins and uh, offensive play calling right after this. The holidays are here. We wanted to take a moment, thank all of our customers for their business. We also want to say thank you to all our Austin employees for their hard work and dedication this year. The holiday is about family and friends and great memories. But if you happen to be in the market for a car or truck, we'd love to help. Or if you want to service the one you already have just in time for your holiday trip, we can help too. So come see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. From our family to yours, Merry Christmas. And a safe and happy new year. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Your local independent auto owners agent is the Earl Bacon Agency. Call us at 878-2121 or visit us on the web at earlbacon.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, we got plenty of time left. Keith, we, I do want to dive into football, but since I mentioned it at the top of the show, I need to I need to get on my get-off-my-lawn rant quickly. Uh, first of all, uh, you, uh, with with multiple casas uh, to your name, or maybe Kathy's name, you, as I understand it, you have Xfinity at one of your uh, estates and DirecTV at the other. Is that right? Uh, that's my understanding, yes. Okay. So were you able to see the game on Bally's via Xfinity and DirecTV? I'm going to answer yes. Okay. Well, those of us that cut the cord a couple of years ago in pursuit of the ACC network and its fine commercial programming have moved from Xfinity to Hulu, which I had to cancel after a month because at the time they did not have an agreement with NBC in Tallahassee, and we were going to miss a Sunday night football Saints game, which would have cost me very dearly, as you can understand, with my wife. So I had to cancel Hulu at that time, and I got Sony PlayStation View, which was great for the four months it existed while I subscribed, and then it went belly up. And so I went to YouTube TV, which has been great until about two weeks ago before Christmas when they were in a dispute with ESPN, and we were rolling into the weekend. And I was going to miss about five bowl games and six NFL games. So I subscribed to something called Vidgo on the seven-day free trial. Just as I subscribed a day later, I got to cancel Vidgo because the uh, dispute between ESPN and YouTube TV was settled. And so I got all that back on YouTube TV, only to find out that last night's basketball game was on Bally's which is not available on YouTube TV or Hulu or anywhere really, except for DirecTV and Comcast, except for DirecTV Stream, Keith. So I subscribed to DirecTV Stream, 
which there's not a seven day free trial. I had to shell out the cash and now I'll get my refund because I'll cancel in the 14 day window. Got home at five after seven, had to download the app, downloaded the app and, 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 I, and I log in and uh, the two Bally's networks, formerly Fox Sports Florida and Sun Sports as we know them, one was showing the Panthers, one was showing the Lightning. Neither was showing the FSU basketball game. So now I went to ESPN and logged into that app and only to find out that the FSU Wake Forest game was blacked out there because it's supposed to be on Bally's. So finally, I found the game on my computer. And at the point I found the game, Keith, it was 13 to 11 Wake Forest. They were already in the midst of their run and Florida State did not make a basket for about the next nine minutes or whatever it was. And thus entails or encompasses my story on how I tried to actually watch the game last night, which was really not worth much of that effort at all. Do you feel better? I do. I do. I had to get that off my chest. And Lulu, apologies. I should have just listened to you call the game. Would have been much simpler than all that. And and part two will probably come next week when I've got to send a letter to DirecTV Stream to actually cancel, even though it says you can get your refund in the first 14 days. So stay tuned for that. All right, Keith. Let's, let's talk football. Well, the bottom line of all that, though, Tommy, is we now know how hundreds, if not thousands, of people in Tallahassee and all across the country felt when Comcast didn't have the ACC network. So we go from one problem to another. Maybe there'll be others uh, forthcoming. Yeah, I, I will say this, just to continue the old man thing, Keith. The streaming experience, I know that's where everything's headed, and the younger generation knows nothing different because they don't change the channels. When something, they, A, they don't watch anything live, but if they happen to be watching something live, when it goes to commercial, they just look at their device and get on social media. But if you're actually channel surfing, as we used to do, much better experience in the old school cable. Now, where it is an advantage on the streaming is you can watch it on your phone or your computer, or you can be traveling and now you show up and you're in LA and you don't want to watch LA news. You just log into your YouTube TV and you can watch your local channels or whatever you want. That said, that's, that's enough of this rant. Ironically, I did see Keith that the number of uh, cable households, which once was around a hundred million is now below 70 million. It's down to about 69 and a half million. And that continues to drop, which means, yes, FSU gets a cut of the ACC network, but there's fewer households now that are paying out. All right, are we done with all that talk? Can we go to football now? I, I don't think there was any we involved, so continue. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like I should just give you the next five minutes of this second <laughs> to finish the show. Um, well, I, I do have something that's related back to what we we're talking. I, somebody, I don't, as you, as our listeners know, and you well know, I don't Twitter or tweet or any of that stuff, but um, Tubby Smith had a, a tweet that someone forwarded to me that uh, our listeners that have access and know how to look those things up, you're included, need to look up. And basically was talking about there were 800 men's basketball players in the transfer portal. And he went on a little story about a conversation he had with his dad when he was a college kid. And basically he finishes it. This is Tubby Smith, coached at Kentucky, uh, been around the game for a lot of times. He's basically saying, I'm paraphrasing here that we're teaching, at least on the men's basketball side, we're teaching these kids how to be quitters. So now it's time for your old man rant. I'm just going to echo it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about football and 2,500 and half or more of them don't end up anywhere. I didn't know. And I've not verified that the number is actually 800 on the men's side. Uh, and obviously the, the transfer situation was, was more pronounced in men's basketball earlier than it ever was in football. Uh, but 
and, and that's an oversimplification. And by no means am I suggesting that all the kids are leaving for wrong reasons, but it is an interesting take from a gentleman who's been involved in, in men's college basketball for 50 years, probably. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll acknowledge that he's old like we are and maybe not as, uh, um, flexible and, and, uh, embracing of change as we once were, but I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that they're talking about when I say they, uh, this is more on the coaches side and the AFCA is, is actually creating windows during the year when the transfer portal is open, maybe one in the month of December and one after spring practice. So you're not dealing with this all 12 months of the year. And then another is forcing uh, or making them sign letters of intent so that you're not just committed and hanging out there and basically still in the poor, like UCF's quarterback. He transferred from UCF to UCLA and never got to UCLA because now he's at Oklahoma. You know what I mean? Unless he just right. get a better offer and somebody else comes up with more NIL money. If, if you sign an LOI, then, then that would lock that in a little more. There's a lot that needs to be fixed on the transfer portal. And as we articulate weekly, Keith, we can't fix it in this window. So let's just talk about on the field, Alabama, Georgia. Who you got this week? I'm going with uh, I'm going with Alabama. My heart's with Georgia, but I'm going with Alabama. Uh, I think what happens uh, with many teams is that um, when you you get that that taste a little bit and you get close to it, and particularly when you get to the latter stages of the season, um, you you look back at what's happened previously. In, in Alabama with those, what, six titles under Saban and however many years, the, the, the program kind of pushes you forward. Uh, I would love for Georgia to win it. I love Kirby. You know, he's had time here at Florida State. There, there's some folks here that remember his time here. Um, and, and I think their starting quarterback, Bennett's story, is just a phenomenal story about a true student athlete. Uh, but I think Alabama's just got too many horses. I'm rooting for a scoreless tie and then they play to infinity in overtime, but that's just, (laughs) (laughs) no, I do think it'll be a good game. Uh, I actually think George is going to win it, but having said that, Keith, no team has done less with more over the last four decades than Georgia, uh, who, as I heard Corey Clark say, won its last national title when Jimmy Carter was in office. So it's been a while since they've actually been at the top, Keith. So until they get there, I mean, for as much as hype as went with this Georgia team this year, if they end up losing twice to Alabama, not good, not good. Well, and that's the, the part of the redeeming quality is that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to beat a team twice, and, it, and it's also hard to lose to the same team twice. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, the old-fashioned book stuff that comes into play. But again – you know, I was just so impressed with how well Alabama played that uh, if they if they can keep that uh, momentum going, uh, I, I believe it will be a close game, but I, w- I do believe it'll be a game that Alabama prevails. And unfortunately, it'll still be on a Monday night, Keith, because they didn't make that change since I opined about that last week. The TV ratings for the New Year's Eve playoff games did come out, and not surprisingly, they were the lowest in the history of the college football playoff, right in the same area as the last time the playoff games were on New Year's Eve. Granted, both games were terrible. No, they weren't going to keep an audience. I shouldn't say terrible for the first one, but they weren't compelling. No. Uh, couple that with New Year's Eve, not a good recipe. And the other thing that's difficult, and I know they supposedly take this into consideration, but 
I personally don't believe that they have been able to capture the true number of folks that are watching via streaming as it relates to the traditional ratings that are done for television. They'll tell you they do, but I'm not sure that they do. We'll have to wait and see how that works out over the years to come. Well, actually, in my case, Keith, I count five times because they count me on Hulu, YouTube TV, Sony PlayStation View, Vidgo, and now DirecTV Stream. So they're counting me five times for watching the game right now. You think very highly of yourself, don't you? That was hashtag sarcasm, Mr. Jones. We will, sarcasm, we will recon- Sheldon. Sarcasm. We will reconvene next week. Uh, hope you'll tune in. Enjoy the championship game on Monday night and uh, have a great week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.